right. Do we have so some text messages? We do have some text messages. Ooh, where do we go? Where do we go? Here we go. Bethel Church. What spirit do you think they are soaking? <laughs> you don't think the demons are going to miss out on this opportunity to enter them, do you? In the last days, there will be only two types of people in the world, those possessed by the Spirit of God or those possessed by the Spirit of Satan. That's fact right there. And, uh, okay, guys, we need to get back to the Bible. It's as simple as this. Christianity is going just nuts. Our world is going nuts. Mm. You've kind of got both sides of the equation are both as crazy as each other and doing things as bizarre as each other. And this is one of the reasons why I won't come on here on Faith FM Radio and defend Christianity. Mm. I won't. I will defend God and I will defend the Bible. Mm. But the Bible says at the end of time Christianity is going to become confusion. It's going to become Babylon. Mm. And when we people we see people walking around looking through graveyards to find the grave of somebody that they looked up to and then going and lying on that grave to soak up the spirit of that person, we've moved from Christianity to just the truly bizarre. And they just keep making up different things to do. Last year they had a proclamation against racism, this is Bethel Church specifically, where all the elders of the church, they got a staff, and all the elders of the church held on to the staff. And they made a proclamation that the Red Sea of racism would part from this world. Uh, right. And, you know, obviously, like, that hasn't happened. Because this is the thing. It's just, like, the problem is, is that it's not biblical. Yes. Yes. Yes, it's a good idea. Like, yes, I understand, you know, what your ten- intentions are. Well, the intention is great. We want to get rid of racism. 100%. Absolutely. But. Let's do something biblical. Let's do let's follow something what the Bible biblical. says. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good to see the people in these churches who have come through false theology in songs, yeah. found the truth in the Word of God and yes. calling them out on it. And the truth shall make you free. In fact, there was a great quote. Let me just see if I can find it here. Uh, from oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Here it is. Here it is. Uh, and this is from Mackenzie Morgan, this worship leader in Tennessee. Uh, who made this post that went viral. She says, maybe it's time we start looking at the scriptures to see what God truly calls for in worship and get over what we want. Mm. Wow. Powerful, powerful Mm. statement right there. That's what we need to be doing. Okay, Uh, we had some text messages. Let me just see here. That we didn't get time to cover yesterday, mm. but were actually some really interesting ones because we've been talking this week about the story of David. Yes, and Ooh, his sin with Bathsheba. Mm. Um, let me see here. Oh, okay. All right. This is a heavy <laughs> one. This is a heavy one. So, yeah. um, this is a really heavy one. Before I became a Christian, I had an abortion. Uh, with a woman that I was seeing at the time. Doctors advised us because it was going to have uh, a mental and physical disability. Finally, after learning about God for for a few months, God convinced my heart of this terrible sin I committed. Then God forgave me as I seeked his forgiveness. Mm. Praise God. It's taken some years to give myself, to forgive myself, but I'm so much better for this conviction. Even though I felt I had done worse than David, this being murder of my own child. I had much comfort from David's sins. Wow. That is a powerful testimony. It's a really heavy testimony. And, and I would say 
much comfort comfort from David's forgiveness of his mm. sins. That's obviously, you know, what this person is communicating here, mm. um, because they found forgiveness and they recognised that you know we serve a God who is just ever willing and wanting to forgive us. And I think this is one of the things that people don't that, that people miss when it comes to Christianity and Christianity's opposition to abortion is that a Christian will give just as much support to a person going into an abortion clinic mm. as they will to the person coming out. Mm. We are here for people. Mm. And that's the issue. I love how this person communicated their conviction of a sin that is why like widely is accepted by society. Yes. You know, for for David, yes, he was the king of Israel, and Israel had higher standards, but at the same time, as a king in this ancient part of the world, this was not uncommon behavior to take someone's wife, you know, these kinds of things. Um, yet, yeah, David is convicted, you know, of murder and adultery, and he takes responsibility. And I, I really love this testimony for the same thing, mm. that they find God, and rather than holding on to a notion that, Oh, you know, I, I've done this wrong thing, but oh, the world doesn't think it's wrong, and you know, I'm, no, they they just saw, it. they just looked at the word of God, and they saw like the the weight of what they had done, and they went to God for forgiveness. Yes, yeah, rather than going to the world to justify themselves, you know, like David could have gone to his, and we're going to read about David's repentance today. Um, David could have gone to his position to justify himself and say, ah, oh, you know, and he does initially, right? Oh, the sword devours some; it doesn't devour others you know, making excuses for why Uriah died. But ultimately, you know, once he's convicted of his sin, he comes back to God. Mm. Mm. Powerful. Uh, Let me see. We've got another one here. This one comes through from Braden. I really do love the story of David. He shows us the greatest highs and lows of humanity, which Mm. is not only a great warning of our own influence on others, but also great hope. That we have a God who is so willing to draw us back to him wow. and ready to forgive us. Mm. We just need to let him. It also will lead to another interesting reunion in heaven, a bit like Paul and Stephen. Yeah. There's gonna, that's, this is so true. There's going to be some really, really interesting reunions yeah. that take place in heaven. Paul and Stephen meeting I, up. Isaiah Manasseh. Yes, and David and Uriah. I think mm. those will probably be the... Three most interesting ones yeah. in the Bible when they actually meet in heaven. Mm. Yeah, Oof. wow. Intense. There's going to be a whole lot of Jewish people that are just going to see Nebuchadnezzar walking around as well and going, and, and just their brains are just going to melt. Oh, man. Like, you're talking about the man that rode into their city and destroyed Three times. Them. Yeah. And, that, like, imagine, yeah, they get into heaven and they look and they see him. Like, you'd almost collapse. And and is a rank pagan, like like yeah. the worst pagan you can possibly mm. imagine, and is so far removed from the people of God, and you turn up in heaven and Nebuchadnezzar is walking around. This is going to be just amazing. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. That's so cool. We have so much to look forward to. Yes. Amen. Oh, I'm so I'm I'm happy now. Are, are we? Have we got more text messages? Uh, that's it. That's it. If a text, there's some great messages right there. Mm. And we just want to say that we really appreciate the messages we that you send through. And we were just chatting with David after mm. the interview, uh, who comes on every week to talk about emotional health, and he expressed to us that he would like to hear from you the subjects that you would like to hear about. Mm. So what is it that you're struggling with? What is it that one of your family members or your friends is struggling with? In what way can he help you as a listener um, 
Give us a call or send us a text message. Our number is 0491-064-669. And don't be afraid to either text or call at any point during the show. Mm. Have a chat with David. Have a chat with anybody, you know, yourself or myself. We just love to hear from you guys. And uh, and so David is particularly keen. He, he, he did ask that we pass this on that you, yeah, let him know. How can, how can he help you? Mm. All right, we need to go to our Bible passage for today, and let's head over there. Um, Second Samuel eleven. Second Samuel chapter twelve. Twelve. Ooh. Did we finish eleven? Um, I think we did, didn't we? Yeah, I believe so. Actually, um, yeah, yeah, because at, at the end of uh, eleven, it's that Bathsheba becomes David David's wife. Yes. Mm. So now we're up to chapter 12, which is uh, subheaded, Nathan Rebukes David. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And while we're heading there, just another text message that just uh, snuck through right at the end there in relationship to these churches that are involved in grave soaking. Mm. And we're talking about major churches here. This is not like some, you know, Weird, wacko, backwoods church that has like twelve people. Going yeah, through. we're not talking like this is we, a mega church. Like it's so interesting. Like Westboro Baptist Church is like a huge household name of being like homophobic. It's like twenty five people who go to that church. I think it does doesn't exist anymore, does it? Yeah, oh, I think prob- it died. Probably. Yeah. Well, there's twenty five people going, yeah. but like, they're all from the one family. Dude, Bethel is like a massive organization institution. They teach. They make music. Like. And they're doing this wild stuff. What does that person have to say? What's the difference between these churches and the Catholic Church? So, like, <laughs> as far as, so this is an interesting question. As far as I know, the Catholic Church is not involved in grave soaking, but the Catholic Church does teach people to pray to uh, people who have died. Yeah. Grave so soaking is like the next step. Basically. Yeah, grave soaking is definitely next level. But at the same time, like, and, and as we were making an appeal earlier, that, oh, we need to come back to the Bible. And what the Bible teaches when it comes to worship and everything. And this is true because the Bible also teaches that we should have no communication with the dead. Yeah, because the dead know nothing. Like, And so both of these practices are equally unbiblical. Yes, yes. I think that's the takeaway point is that, yeah, we shouldn't view our world as to like, oh, who's doing the most, most extreme thing and shun that. It's like, don't shun anyone, but shun unbiblical practice. Yes, no matter how extreme it is or, or how... Or how we- Unextreme it is. Yes. If it's not biblical, don't mm-hmm. go there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can be wild and wacky and go too far. And we can call that right. any church on that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Including our own. Mm-hmm. If you are not following the Bible, then don't go there. Mm, 100%. Okay. All right. Second Samuel chapter 12, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 1. The Bible says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David the story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had brought. He raised that little lamb and it grew uh, up with his child. Uh, It ate of the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Stop right. That's so cute. I'm like... (laughs) Have you ever done this with a lamb? No. I have. I have actually done this. When I was a kid, uh, we got a pet lamb, and it was given to me by my parents 
to hand raise mm. from birth. So I was the only mother that it ever knew. And I used to give it this bottle. So I didn't feed it out of a cup like uh, this particular guy did but because we had bottles. Mm. He didn't have obviously bottles with you know rubber teats and those and that kind of deal um, in his day. But they are the sweetest pets you will ever have. Mm. They are just amazing. They are it's just, yeah, if you ever have the opportunity, if you've got a bit of land, you've got a bit of grass, that kind of thing, get yourself a lamb, raise it on a bottle. It'll be, your, it'll, it'll be the experience of a lifetime. I, dude, I'm, I want to get in my car and drive to the pet shop. <laughs> Where do you buy lambs from? I think probably like You're a Not farm. a pet shop. You need yeah. to go to a uh, sheep farm. Okay, so continuing on. So this man has his lamb. He's cuddling it. It's his best friend. It's amazing. And then it continues on. One day, a guest arrived at his at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing the animal from his own flock and herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. Okay, let's stop there for a moment, and we need to think about uh, Middle Eastern hospitality at this particular mm. time. So Middle Eastern hospitality is next level. In fact, there we, we talk about different cultures that have a very high level of hospitality. Mm. And as generally speaking with our British background, we actually have a fairly low level of hospitality oh, definitely, compared to most cultures. Definitely in Australia because we don't have tipping culture. There's lots of different things that you can look at within Australian culture and within British culture where we just... We tend to be a bit cold, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, we're so it's a bit scary. cold. Particularly when you travel to other parts of the world. And you travel to the Middle East and they have this hospitality culture where if they offer you food, if they give you food, or if they invite you under their roof, they are on a bound to protect you as their guest with their life. Mm. And they will. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody in the Middle East offers you food, that's next level kind of... Uh, Offer that they are making. Dude, oh, man. I used to have uh, next-door neighbours who were from the Middle East, from Lebanon, and, like, when they... That was that was their summer house. They were, like, rich people from Sydney. And they'd come up and stay next door. And literally, it was just like, oh, every time... I'd hang out with their kids every day. We'd, like, jump on the trampoline and do different things. And then it came lunchtime. And then I was just, like... <laughs> Boiled. Like, it was just the best thing ever. Awesome was in heaven. Yeah, seriously. Oh, so much food. Anyways, yeah. But this is, this is Middle Eastern culture. Mm. And so here you've got a situation where this guy has a guest who turns up. He's a wealthy guy. Mm. They did not kill animals all the time. Mm. Killing an animal and having meat was actually a special thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, let's face it, if you've got 100 sheep, how many of them are you going to kill in the space of 12 months? Yeah, wow. You know, you don't have a fridge, you don't have a freezer, you don't have any of those kind of things. When you kill an animal, when you kill a beast, that is going to be an occasion when you are going to be sharing it with large groups of people because it has to be eaten on the spot. Mm. And it's only going to be on occasion. And so you're going to be a vegetarian most of your time, most of your life, but on special occasions you will kill a creature and of course you know if a guest turns up you're not going to go and kill a, kill a full-grown creature you look around and find a small one because once again you can't keep that food it's mm. going to go off you don't have a freezer you don't have a refrigerator and so he looks around for a lamb he's got some lambs of his own but they're kind of precious mm. they're a precious commodity you don't get to, to use them very often so what does he do he goes to the poor man's house and kills his lamb instead. Basically, that's 
That's what I read there. Yeah, one day guests arrive at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for the guest. Yeah, wow. That's pretty... That's so cold. That is ice cold. Mm. All right. So it continues on. David responds. It says in verse 5, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Oh, stop there, stop there, stop there, stop there, stop there. Stop <laughs> oh, can, there. I, can I read the next verse? Can I read the next verse? No. It just says he must no. repay. Okay, all right. It go, says go. he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's think about this for a moment. David is the king, and as king he acts as judge. Mm. And so having people come to him... For judgment in legal cases um, and cases of justice or injustice and so forth is something that David is well accustomed to. Mm. Now, Nathan the prophet turns up, and so Nathan is no doubt going to have an easier time getting an audience with David than the average person. Mm. Because Nathan the prophet is, well, he is Nathan the prophet. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, he gets an audience with the king, in he goes and tells this story, and David is sitting there assuming that, well, this story is being told to me because I need to do something about it. He is incensed by what happens mm. in the story. He's like, that's it. This person is worthy of death. Mm. I'm going to restore this lamb four times over. Yikes. Yikes. What's the next verse? Yeah. <laughs> the next line? Verse seven, the Bible says, "Then David sent. To, uh, then Nathan said to David, "You are that man." Wow! Stop there! Stop <laughs> there! Stop right yes, there! That's so heavy. Nathan set a trap. Yeah, and David walked straight in. Mm. Why do you think that? Why do you think that David set a trap right here? Why do you, well, sorry, why do you think that Nathan set a trap? Why do you um, think he told a story? Well, I think he wanted to. To move David, in a sense, like make him feel compassion mm-hmm. towards the people who he had absolutely just slighted and yes. hurt and, you know, like, yeah, he wanted to ultimately bring David to a place where he was emotionally moved by a story and then accept. If you, like, come to David just brazenly and say, oh, you did this, if he was willing to kill Uriah, he's probably willing to kill you. You know, that's 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 okay, my thought. Yeah, like, right. You know, uh-huh, uh-huh. murder is murder. Yes. And at this time, David is a murderer. He is absolutely a murderer. And because this is Nathan the prophet coming, Nathan the prophet is coming there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, in many ways, this is how God approaches David. Yes. Mm. Okay. So, how do you think it would have been different? And would it have been different if Nathan had just walked in and said, "David"? You're an adulterer, a rapist, and a murderer. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have had the same effect. I think, as I said before, murder is murder, and potentially Nathan could have not left that room. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We are just straight into our Bible study. Yep. And we've been talking about David, and we've been talking about Bathsheba, we've been talking about Nathan, and mm. how Nathan comes with this story. Mm. And the reason that Nathan comes with this story is because he is making an appeal to David. Yes. And David has done a massive sin and he has been living for the best part of a year or however long, you know, maybe six months, we don't know, under a massive 
burden because he's been carrying a huge secret mm. uh, in the sin that he's been committed. And you know, anybody who's ever lived under that kind of burden just knows the pressure and the horror of carrying a big secret. Mm. It's just a terrible thing. Dude, I, I love watching interrogation videos. It's like my new thing. Like on YouTube, you watch like interrogation videos of like I've seen people, a couple of the ones pe- that you watch. People who have like committed really heinous crimes and then the interrogators are working to break them down to uh, to confess, basically. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because even if they come from a place where they have sufficient evidence, they always want to get a confession so that the, the, the trial will be easier That's right. and everything like That's that. That's right. Um, it, but ultimately, like, you see just the way that people crack, you know, under the... Because it's under the burden of guilt, the way that they respond to questions and act. And now that, you know, interrogation is a science, is that they just see that people are just so weighed down by what they've done that they're just... Like, they're already lying and making things up, but they're doing it to cover such a terrible thing that they just... Oh, the, oh, you know, no matter how long the the interrogation goes for, uh, you know, in most cases they can get a confession from someone just from the fact of that burden just keeps weighing on them and weighing on them and weighing on them and weighing on them and the pressure gets applied mm. and then they just, they confess. Like they, they do the one thing that they're not supposed to do and they, they just fully confess because they're like, I, I can't take it anymore. Because of the relief that it brings. Mm. Yeah. And this is and this is what and this is what God offers to us because I mean the consequences are never going to away but God going mm. to go away but God offers to us the relief that comes through confession mm. and the relief that comes from forgiveness. Yeah, wow. Well. David has been lying and lying and lying and lying, and he knows this looks bad. Mm. This looks so bad. All right, text message coming through. David needed to judge himself in the judgment of the rich man. How else would he see the enormity of his sin? He accepts the judgment of God willingly. We yeah. haven't got quite a, kind of got to that part of the story yet, but we're certainly getting there. Mm. And uh, yes, yeah. when God comes to David through Nathan with the story of the rich man, God is placing David in in the in the dock. Mm. Also, just a thought that I had as as that text message is being read is that David traps himself because Nathan has come with his story. We've indicated, oh, it's a bit of a trap. David has trapped himself civilly. He's made a civil judgment on a case that is yes. literally about him. Yes, and it's and it's as if like he yeah. He and the reality is that. that what this rich man did in the story is nothing like as bad as what David did. Mm-hmm. Not even close. Yeah, wow. Well. David's like, yeah, he's worthy of death. He's going to repay it four times over. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. David's response. Nathan says, you are the man. What does David say? Um, Well, he goes on to say, you know, just laying out essentially what Okay, so Nathan Nathan continues to talk here. Yeah, Nathan is just like, you know, like, you've been anointed, the king of Israel. Let's just read it. Let's just read it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So. Until we get down to David's response. Verse 7, the Bible says, Then David said to Nathan, You are that man. The Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Saul, I gave you your master's house and his wife's and kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murmured, uh, sorry, murdered Uriah the Hittite 
with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife as your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your own very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. Oof, yikes. Um, you did it secretly, but I will make this happen openly in the sight of Israel. Mm, and it happens, you know. And this is not, and this is God just, just, mm. just speaking a prophecy here. Mm. You know, this is not like God saying, well, you know, I'm going to do all of these atrocities. God is saying, this is what's going to happen. I know the end from the beginning. I know what the future is going to hold, and I know what your actions are going to result in. Mm. Okay, have we got David's response there yet? Yeah, verse 13, it says, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Okay, let's stop there. We don't need to go any further. All right, so here's, let's, let's, just, let's just summarize what we've got so far in this story. Essentially what happens is that Nathan comes to David and says, David, you are the man. Mm. You've sinned. Mm. And David said, I've sinned. Yeah. And confesses his sin. And, and, you know, there would have been a weight that rolled off his shoulders at that particular point. But the consequences don't go away, do they? No. And the consequences are severe, the Bible says, that the sword is never going to disappear. The Bible says that, you know, somebody else is going to rape all of his wives. The Bible, you know, and it goes on and on and on down through this list. Mm. It's, it's awful, awful stuff. And, of course, the child that uh, Bathsheba is pregnant with is going to die. Mm. There's terrible, terrible consequences for what David has done right here. And it's going to have a huge impact on you know, his kingdom and his reputation and his story. And, you know, 3,000 years later, we're still talking about it. Mm. One of the most famous stories in the Bible. Um, but I want to compare that for a moment with the story of Saul. Yeah, wow. David is the second king of Israel. Saul is the first. Now, Saul sinned as well. And you can read it in... Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, the Bible says, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me on, uh, the, the Lord said, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but kill both man and woman, infant and suckling and ox, sheep, camel and ass. Mm. Okay, so it's a pretty severe penalty that is handed out on Amalek. This is ethnic cleansing. Uh, this is genocide. And there are reasons for that. We can do that for question time sometime if that is something that disturbs you. But there is very, very good reasons for what God is asking Saul to do here. And so the Bible says that Saul goes and he raises an army and fights against the Amalekites. Then a little bit further down, uh, you find that when they've come back from the battle, um, Samuel rose up early to meet Saul and it was told him, you know, he's, he's here and he's there. And Saul came, and Samuel came to Saul and said, Blessed be you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of God. So Saul comes to Samuel and says, Be blessed, I did what God said. Mm. Samuel says, what's the, what's the noise of the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen which I can hear? Mm. Now Samuel knows because God has revealed to him in a night vision exactly what Saul has done. Same with Nathan. Nathan knows what David has done. Mm. Samuel knows what Saul has done. And so Samuel is, this is kind of like a really nice, easy kind of way of saying, uh, Saul, you didn't actually do what you, everything you were told. You mm. did most of it, but not all of it. You know, So this is a tactful way of saying, he's not, he's not, doesn't come there and stand and put a finger in his face and say, nah, you didn't do it. Mm. Um, he... 
he comes to him and says, okay, well, how come I can hear sheep and, and cattle? And Saul says, oh, 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 they, they have bought them from the Amalekites and more or less so that we can sacrifice them to the Lord. So it wasn't me. Don't blame me. I didn't do this. I know I'm the king and I know I'm in charge, but you know, I can't help what the people do. Well, actually, yeah, it's your he, job. He, literally, you can say one word and they'll all kill the sheep. Like. So, and he, and he goes on with this big excuse. Um, and uh, so Samuel comes back this time with a little bit stronger um, message and gives the same history to Saul that Nathan gave to David. Yeah, wow. You know, when you were small in your sight, the Lord anointed you to be ruler over the people, etc. And then says, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord but flew on the spoil and did evil in the sight of God? So this is the second time round now. And he's like, okay, let's be real. You actually did this. Mm. And, and Saul says, no, 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 no. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone the way which the Lord uh, sent me and has have brought Agag the king of Abelak and utterly destroyed them. Mm. Well, now he's just actually confessed to another sin. He's actually spared the life of the most powerful uh, Malachite that there ever was. And that's going to come back to haunt the Jews oh, in the time of in Esther a and Mordecai. Terrible way. In a terrible way. But anyway. Um, and so this is the third time now. Mm. The third time. And uh and 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 Samuel basically says, Look, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Mm. Both of them had the same response, but for very different reasons. Yeah. Why do we confess our sins? Why do we come to Jesus Christ? Are we afraid of the consequences like Saul? Or are we looking for the grace that David was looking for and that David experienced? You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Uh, That means it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, our question of the day today is, and this is very related to the Bible study we've been doing, it's, I feel that I have truly repented and that God has forgiven me for my sin, Um, yet I cannot forgive myself. How can I when I know what I've done? Yeah, and it's interesting because it goes kind of along with a text message that came through towards the end of that last section, which says, you know, we often tell the story and sing about David, the giant slayer, but the bigger giant was this one. Mm. It is interesting that it is after all this David's guilt, uh, confessions and forgiveness, that God calls David the apple of his eye. Wow. Yes, it's afterwards. And so this is a story that I think that a person who is struggling to forgive themselves can take great courage from. Because after David confesses his sin and after David is right with God again and God makes him right, then David calls him the apple of his eye. Do you believe that God can do the same for you? Okay, so this is what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, For you are saved by grace through faith. The first part of that is easy. Grace is unmerited favor. We are saved by the unmerited favor of God. The challenging part is the faith, accepting that God has done so. In 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9, the Bible says, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question is, when does that forgiveness actually take place? 
when are we actually cleansed from all unrighteousness? And the answer is very simple. We are cleansed from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins at mm. that moment. The Bible doesn't say, you know, uh, if we confess our sins and wait a week and do penance and prove that we are really right with God and make full surrender five times a day, then you'll be forgiven. The Bible does not say any of those things. The Bible says that the moment that we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness at that point. Then comes our role in that, Mm. and that is believing the promise. God cannot force you to believe his word. That's only something that we can do. Okay, now if you're struggling with that, and and Lawson and I were uh, chatting about this briefly, and I think you raised some really interesting points because if you are struggling with that, and I think we all do struggle with it from time to time, it's important to engage with God. Mm. Start there. Start by engaging with God. God says, come now, let us reason together. You know, we've got to wrestle over this one. Sometimes you need to have a bit of a wrestle with God. But don't just engage with God. Also engage with God's people. Yes. Engage with community. And uh, there you're going to find encouragement because you're going to have other people who can share stories of having been forgiven and received grace. You're going to find other people who, because they have had those experiences, can share those experiences with you and can encourage you to believe because God does do what he says. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why God invented community is because God knew that we would struggle to forgive ourselves. Receiving forgiveness is the easy part of of Christianity. Believing, accepting that forgiveness and forgiving ourselves in many ways is the more challenging part. Mm. But that comes about by engaging with God and by engaging with God's people. So let me encourage you to do all of those things and you will experience being able to forgive yourself. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.